Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the sermon from lead pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. There is glad to be with you here today. We have just come through uh, an incredible, incredible week. Uh, it's, it's been a different week uh, for Christians all around the world, those of us who, who worship the risen Lord. We, we have called... Uh, this last week, Holy Week, uh, for uh, two millennia. And th- this, this Holy Week has been different than any Holy Week that, that I have ever experienced before. You know, we, we call this past Friday, uh, we call it Good Friday. And uh, for some, this past Friday was a difficult Friday. It didn't, didn't seem so, so good. Um, well, here's some news that you may want to know. In that first Holy Week, 2,000 years ago, it also was a difficult first Good Friday. They didn't think of it as good. Uh, The disciples, the followers of Jesus on that day uh, that Jesus was crucified, they had all run away the night before. They had all scattered in in fear. They didn't know what was coming next. They they felt they were disturbed. They were distressed. They they felt defeated. I imagine some were kind of giving themselves over to to depression, they were, they were disillusioned about the future. They had expected something totally different than the outcome, the way that it ended, or they thought it had ended. And so they ended up huddled up together in, in a home with the doors locked. They, they had them locked down for, they were afraid of authorities, but some of us know what it feels like these days to be kind of in that, that doors locked. It sounds a little bit of like what, what it means to be kind of shut in uh, during our time. And as many of you have already experienced feelings of isolation, uh, the, the, the disciples felt that, that, that first Easter weekend. They were intimidated. They were, they were insecure. They were afraid. They were filled with fear. And, and into that fear... God steps, God, God moves in an incredible way that first Easter. And God sends a messenger, an angel, and they speak, this angel speaks the very first word from God to humanity after the resurrection. We read about it in Matthew chapter 28 of that gospel. The first visitors to Jesus' tomb that first Easter morning were, were women, and they had gone to uh, gone back to prepare further the body of Jesus. And when they arrived, they found a giant stone that had been placed in front of this borrowed tomb where they had laid the crucified body of Christ, the dead body of Jesus, where they had buried him. This tomb, this stone had been rolled back. And it actually frightened the two women. And the angel of God spoke into their fear the first words uh, of God to mankind on that first Easter Sunday, and those, those words were, do not be afraid. Do, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was, who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen just as he said he would. He's, he's risen. Then over in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 20, we read about the resurrected Jesus making his first appearance to his disciples later in that day, on that first Easter day. And in John chapter 20, verse 19, we read, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked when the disciples were, uh, where the disciples were for, for fear of the Jews. They were, they were in fear. And Jesus came and stood among them. And he said to them, Peace be with you. The, the first words that Jesus spoke in his resurrected body in the presence of his closest friends were words to calm their fears. Friends, what this this tells me is that this is one of the, the, the first messages of Easter, and it's a central message of Easter, that that 2,000 years later in this unprecedented time in human history it's still so relevant today these are these are the words that i believe we need to hear most from god today do not be afraid 
peace be with you. You know, our, our nation, our, our world has had a tsunami of, of fear just crash over us and overwhelm us. And it's not just the images that we see on the news. It's not just those reports, but it's, it's from real life experiences that, that we're all having. Fear of, of losing a job. Fear of not knowing how our, our bills are going to be paid. Fear, fear about our health. Fear of becoming infected. Fear of, of maybe somebody that we love becoming infected. I mean, oh my goodness, fear of running out of toilet paper. We're, it's just been overwhelming fear. And some of you, uh, I'm afraid, you, you know, Maybe you're afraid that I'm going to talk too long today because you, uh, you've got an appointment you know, at your favorite restaurant to pick up a meal. There, there's just all kinds of fears out there. And we call, we call fear by many names. We call it worry. We call it you know, tension. We call it anxiety. We, we say we're uptight. We talk about stress. I remember reading years ago a study that was done. Uh, about 500 different people participated. And it, among those 500 people, th they discovered there were about 7,000 different fears in 500 people. That's about 14 fears per person. So this isn't just a, a minor issue uh, for, for just right here, right now, in this point in history. It, it's something that, that has plagued mankind forever. And this is not a minor issue, and it's one of the reasons Easter talks about it. Why, why in, on the day of we celebrate the resurrection, Jesus comes to us and says, do not be afraid, peace be with you. So what is it that we, we know about fear? Well, we actually know that fear can be a little bit like a, a virus. It's contagious. You, you can catch fear fr from other people. We, we also know that it can be overwhelming. I've heard it said that fear is the dark room where negativity develops. We know that, that fear is draining. Some of you haven't gone physically to work in a couple of weeks, and yet you're so exhausted because you're worn out from worry. And that's what, that's what fear does. Fear, fear can cause you uh, to make very poor decisions. I remember a time in my life when overwhelming fear uh, caused me to do something, well, it didn't cause it. it, it almost caused me to do something very, very horrible to another human being. Um, some of you will remember back in the, the, the time of 9-11, uh, shortly after that season, there were days when uh, our, our, you know, we would go back and forth between low levels to, to high levels of, of readiness, and at one time, our president had alerted our nation that there was a high level of another attack coming, and he told us to all be on guard. He told us to, to, for all of us to be, be careful, keep our eyes open, and, and if you see anything, say something. And I remember Kathy and I, I think it was a Friday afternoon, we were driving, uh, we were heading to lunch somewhere, and while on our way, we, we came up uh, onto an overpass on the interstate over the inter I-26, and we were going to get some lunch, I think. And as we kind of crested the overpass, over to our far right, we had gotten in the far left lane to turn heading eastbound on the interstate. Over in the far right lane, actually on the shoulder of the road, was a semi-truck. And behind the semi-truck was a man with a ball cap on. He was about, I don't know, 15, 20 yards behind the semi-truck, and he was down in this position... And he was holding something on his shoulder just like this. And Kathy and I looked at each other in horror because we were certain suddenly that that guy had a grenade launcher. He had it aimed at the back of that semi-truck. And we just looked at each other in, in horror. It was like, I, I don't even remember what we said to each other. But I, I remember thinking, I got I to run this guy over with my car. I'm going to have to zoom over and knock him off the bridge so he doesn't do what he's about to do. And just before I was going to make that final decision, I looked down the interstate, and there in the median of the interstate was a highway patrolman. 
He was trying to stop speeders. So I took off when the light turned green, took off down the on-ramp, got on the interstate, crossed three lanes of traffic, drove into the median right up next to him, rolled my window down, and, and just started telling him what we saw. And he got my name and phone number, and then he took off. He did a U-turn, went back up the interstate. And so we went on down to the next exit, turned around and came back. Well, by the time we got back, a, another patrol car was there. And so I pulled the, our car up behind the truck, and we couldn't see anybody. We didn't see any people. And so didn't know what to, to do, so I, I, I made a decision. I turned the car off and got out of the car, and I kind of walked over behind the car, I think, and was looking around where that guy had been, um, you know, kneel, knelt down, and uh, didn't see him, did not see the police officers anywhere. Well, the next thing I know, apparently the man with the hat on leaned from around the truck, and Kathy spotted him. And she opened her door and started hollering, he's down there. I don't remember exactly what she said. But anyway, she was alerting me that this guy was uh, kind of on the loose, and we didn't see the policeman. And guess what my wife, who loves me so much, did next? After warning me, she shut the doors to the car and locked them. Just, just leaving me out there, you know. So finally, I, I start hearing voices, and there's a little bit of laughter, I think, coming from the, from the front of the truck. And so I make my way kind of down there a little bit, and an officer kind of steps from behind the truck, and he motions me down, and I go talk to him. And um, they were kind of having a, a pretty interesting laugh. And he showed me the drive shaft, and he had served in the military. And he told me, he said, I understand why you think you saw what you saw because on the end of the drive shaft was a headgear that would turn the drive shaft and it had just dropped out and when we saw the guy he had been down on his knees trying to pick it up and was straining to get back up because the drive shaft was so heavy fear almost caused me to do something horrible something i would have regretted all of my life fear can also be crippling Fear can be debilitating. You know, it, it, it's interesting because one of the most important things we know about God is that he does not want his people to live in fear. And not only is it a central message of Easter, it was a central message of, of, of Christmas, that first Christmas. And as you read through the scripture, it's, it, it's a central message of God's word in its entirety all throughout the Bible. In 1 John chapter 4, we read this, God is love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. God doesn't want his children to be, live in fear. In Ephesians chapter 3, the Holy Spirit in, inspires the Apostle Paul to write to the church in Corinth, and he writes these words, Through Jesus Christ, O Lord, now we can come fearlessly right into God's presence, assured of his glad welcome. We don't have to, to be afraid. Now, if you, by chance, printed out the worksheet that I sent you, I want you to circle that word fearlessly in, in Ephesians 3. Cir circle that word. You know, we read in, in, in 1 John a minute ago, I want, want you to look at it in a different translation for a second. It says this, where God's love is, there is no fear, because God's perfect love drives out fear. See, the, the Bible, what the Bible says is that, that, that fear and God's love can exist and function simultaneously in, in, in someone's life. The Bible, what it's saying is that the opposite of fear is not courage. The opposite of fear really is, is love, being rooted and grounded in the love of God. See, God's love can drive this fear out of our hearts. When, when God's love comes into the front door of your, of your soul, it, fear runs out out the back door. God's love, being sure of it in your life, is the antidote to fear. And, and that's why through his resurrection, Jesus determined to set us free, set humanity free for those who would follow him, to set us free to love fearlessly. Now, this, this message today is the sixth message in a series that we've been doing uh, over the past month or so 
um, relate it to what Jesus is determined to do. And in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, uh, the Bible tells us that there was a day in Jesus' life and ministry where he had determined to go to Jerusalem. He knew he was going to, to die there. He knew what was coming, but he was determined to go. And on his way to Jerusalem, it took a while to get there, and on his way he was determined to teach his followers some other things. And we've been looking at those things that, that were essential, that Jesus was determined that we would know uh, for those of us who follow him. And because he knew through his resurrection that, that those of us who follow him would face fear, he wanted to set us free from fear. And he wanted to do it in such a way that it would transform not only the way we live in the here and now, but it would transform the way we live e eternally. Now, as I've kind of lived my life and had conversations with others about their fears, I, I've kind of, kind of categorized fear into what I think of as three basic categories. There are some fears that are just kind of like, let's call them surface fears. You know, they're, they're like, you might be afraid that you're going to run out of gas. That's a surface fear. You might, you know, might, might be afraid that you're going to, to, to get into a car accident and you forgot to put on clean underwear that day or something like that, you know, like your mama warned you. Uh, th those are just kind of surface fears, fears that, you know, everybody kind of has those. You're, you know, you're afraid somebody's going to catch you shopping at, you know, at Walmart for clothes or something. I don't know what it is. But just, just these surface fears. But then there's a, a more significant level of fear, and that's, that's fear in your psyche. Um, maybe even think of it as subconscious fears. And these are fears that are below the surface. They're not right out there on the surface. They're below the surface. They, they run deeper in a human heart. Um, fears like fear of failure, um, fear of rejection, fear of uh, abandonment, fear of maybe losing control or fear of being found out for something that you've done. Maybe a fear of being inadequate for a task at hand. But even those aren't our, our deepest fears. There, there's a, a fear that's deeper than our surface fears. There's a, a fear deeper than I, the fears in our psyche. There's what, what I like to think of as a soul fear. And it's actually a singular fear. It's the root of, of every other fear. All the other fears grow out of this. It's the source. And no matter how much you try to get rid of your surface fears or, or your psyche fears, all of those, nothing's going to change until you deal with this deeper issue, this soul fear, because it rules over everything. And until you get healing in this deepest part uh, of your life, you're still going to have problems with all of your surface fears and those subconscious kinds of fears. It's this gut-level soul fear. And we all, every person on this planet, needs healing at this level. So what, what's at this level? What, what is it that is our deepest fear, our, our deepest need? Well, the deepest need of every human being on the planet is to feel absolutely, totally, completely, unconditionally loved. Completely loved. Not, not, not love for something that you could be, not love for your potential, not, not love for what maybe you should be, but love as you are. It's the deepest inner need of every human being. And, and that's why the, the Bible says perfect love casts out fear. Because until this gets resolved, you're going to be tormented by other fears. Until you believe that at the core of your being, that God loves you completely, it, you're going to continue to be tormented. And see, only God can love you as much as you really need to be loved at this level. Uh, only God can do it. See, God doesn't love you randomly. God doesn't love you uh, inconsistently. God loves you specifically. God loves you consistently. He loves you every second of every minute of every hour of every day forever. He loves you. There's never been a time in your life where God did not have a love for you. Now, that's not true of everybody else in your life. See, only God can love you deep, that deeply that consistently. If you try to get it from other people, what only God can give you, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be terribly let down because only God can do this for you. And if you never get to know God, or if you just have maybe a religious belief 
about God, or, or maybe if, if you know him but you drift away from having a close relationship with him, then you're going to deal with those fears for the rest of your life because you're not dealing with the root, the, the source of all fear. And, and we must accept and live in God's love. See, if you don't get to know God's love and, and then live in an uh, abiding relationship in that love, there's going to be this giant gaping cavern in your soul and the world will fill it up with fear if you don't have his love. See, only God's love can fill it and it's found in Jesus. It's found in the power of, of Jesus' resurrection. And so I want to show you three ways that that's true. So if you'll take these into your life, God will give you the power to live a transformed fear not, not a life filled with fear, but a life that is fearless. And here's the first one of those. And it's, uh, it's all rooted in Jesus' resurrection. Jesus' resurrection provides power to live fearlessly when I accept as fact that God loves me unconditionally. When I accept that fact. Because where, where God's love is, there's no fear. Have you ever wondered, I know I do regularly, why, why is it that people avoid God. Why, why is it? Well, I think it's primarily because they don't really know what God's like, who, who, who he really is. They don't know how much God loves them. And it's so ironic to me because what we need the most is God's love, but it's, you know, it's, it, it feels like people run the farthest and the fastest away from God. And there are reasons for that, I think. Guilt causes us to run from God instead of running to God. That's as old as human beings are. Uh, Adam and Eve, the, the scripture recounts for us that Adam and Eve, uh, when, when Adam sinned, uh, the Bible says when God came looking for him, he, his reason for uh, running away from God was he was afraid, so he hid himself. And people have been uh, afraid of God and running from him and hiding ever since. Have you ever seen the bumper sticker that says, if you feel far from God, guess who moved? God, God doesn't move. He's immovable, the Bible tells us. And, and his love is immovable. He never stops loving you. And we need God's love in our lives. Now, some of you may be out there saying, but you don't know what I've done. And, and you're right, I don't. You may be saying, Joe, I've blown it far too much. My, my sin is, is too much for God. God could never love me. Well, that's a lie. That, that's just a lie that you have started believing. That you're, that's just wrong. See, God's word tells us all throughout, in Romans 8, uh, verse 39, it tells us nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, the love of God that is rooted in, in Jesus Christ is a love that you, you can never be separated from God because it's so strong. Again, if you printed out the, the worksheet, circle that word nothing in that passage of Scripture. Nothing means nothing. Nothing can keep God from loving you. And that includes your past, no matter how dark it might be. Now, that, that doesn't mean that God approves of everything. He doesn't approve of everything you've done. He doesn't approve of everything that I've done in my past, but that he's never stopped loving you. Others may think, well, my past isn't so horrible. You know, I'm a pretty decent person, but, you know, this whole God thing, why would, if there is a God, why would he be interested in me? Well, Luke 12 tells us something interesting. It tells us that God is so interested in you that he even knows how many hairs you have on your head. And, and because of that, he knows you so intimately. The Bible says, don't be afraid. To God, you're worth much. He says you're worth much to him. Now, your worth doesn't have anything to do with the numbers of hair on your head. Um, so those of you, you know, who may be listening who are follically challenged, don't, don't worry. It's not about, you know, God's love equates to the numbers of hair you have. God's love is, is, is just so large. And if, you're, if you ever really want to know how big God's love is, all you've got to do is look back at what Jesus did on the cross. So many of us gathered together in our homes around the low country this past Thursday night as a part of our uh, celebration of Easter as, 
we, we paused to remember. And we thought about the cross, and we thought about what, what Jesus did there. And, and Jesus displayed the love of God on the cross like, like no other. See, folks, the starting point of dealing with fear is to accept that God loves you and bring it into your inner being. See, it's, it's one thing. It's one thing to know about God's love. Probably everybody watching knows something about, you know, something about God's love. You've heard some kind of fact. But it's another thing altogether to accept it, to bring it into your life. See, you're never going to really feel it until you first accept it. And what that means is saying is, God, I, I receive your love. God, I, I choose to bring in it. I don't want to just know about you and your love. I want to know you. God created you. He made you to love you. The Bible tells us that God created you as an object of his love. You were created so that God can love you. Now, he knows everything about you, and he wants you to know him personally. He wa God wants a relationship with you, warts and all. The God of the universe, the God of all creation. That powerful God who spoke and creation came into existence. He, he wants to be your friend. He, he, not the kind of friend that says, hey, you stay on that side of the fence and I'll stay on this side of the fence. God wants to really know you. He wants to be close to you. See, when, when you love somebody, really love somebody, you want them to love you back. And God does as well. That's why God sent Jesus. God sent Jesus Christ to earth first of all, to show us exactly what he's like. The Bible tells us he's, he's the exact image of the Father. It was also to show us how to live the best possible life. And then to die on the cross to pay the penalty of sin that we could not pay for ourselves, that was separating us from God. And, and, and then defeat the power of sin on the cross by dying this perfect sinless uh, living this perfect sinless life and dying as a sacrifice on the cross, but then being raised from the dead, conquering death. He not only conquered the power sin had over us, but his great love conquered death, the thing that we're, we're most afraid of. He conquered that, and, and we need to accept it into our lives. There's a second reality about Jesus' resurrection that we must engage in, and, and it's this. Jesus' resurrection provides us power to live fearlessly when I believe Jesus actually died and rose for me, for me personally. Now, again, if you printed out that worksheet, uh, the, the last word on that, that phrase there, I would encourage you to circle that word me. Not, not just that he died for the sins of the world, but he died for my sins. Personalize it. Not just that he died, you know, for, for, for every. He died for me. He died for you. See, it's one thing to believe something, you know, uh, uh, about something. It's another thing to believe in something. Those are two very, very different uh, concepts. You know, it's one thing to believe something about a person. It's another thing to believe, really believe in a person. And a lot of people say, well, I believe there's a God. Big deal. You know, do you think that, that that gets your name in the book of life, that, be, that you believe there there's a God? See, the Bible says that only a fool says there's no God. You have to have more faith to believe, you know, I think, that, that creation happened by accident than to believe there's an actual creator. But it doesn't, doesn't make you uh, in a relationship with God just because you look at creation and believe there had to be a creator. You know, I, I believe it takes more faith to not believe in a creator than it does to, 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 to believe that everything just happened. You know, the Bible also tells us that the devil believes in God, but you're not going to find him in a relationship with God. You're not going to find him in heaven. See, believing in God is more than just head knowledge. It's not just about believing that he exists. It's about believing in him. In, in the original language of the scriptures in the New Testament, it was written in, in Koine Greek, the Greek language. And that word believe often gets translated as trust in clinging to, relying on, committing yourself, selling out to. Let me see if I can explain it this way. I believe that there was a human being named Lenin who existed, but I'm not a communist. 
I believe that there was a man named Hitler, but I'm not a Nazi. I believe in Jesus Christ, and that's why I'm a Christian, because I've committed myself to him. Right now, many of you are probably sitting in a recliner or a chair of some sort on a couch, and, and you sat down in that, and, and, and as you did that, whether you even did it consciously or subconsciously, you were putting your faith in that chair. You were believing, trusting, clinging to that that chair was going to hold you up and wouldn't fall apart when you put, put your weight on. I believe in Jesus, and that makes all the difference in the world. I, I rely on him. I sit, I sit down in him. I trust in him. Now, there, there are a lot of differences that that makes in your life. Belief in Jesus makes a huge difference in all aspects of your life. One of those is that when you believe in Jesus and what he says about your future and about salvation, then you can stop being afraid of the ultimate enemy of humanity, which is, is death. See, a huge part of the good news of Easter is, is found in this. In Hebrews chapter 2, the Bible tells us that by embracing death, Jesus destroyed the devil's hold on death. He, he, he destroyed it, and he freed us. He freed us up because this, this had a hold on us. It freed us all up when we cower through life. It, scared to death of death. I love the way the message translates this. So many of us live our lives scared to death of death. People don't like to talk about it. Don't like to think about it. Don't, don't even like to use the word. Why do you think that is? Well, I think, it, I think there's several reasons. One is I don't, I don't think people are confident that they know what's going to happen afterwards. And I think there are some who fear it because they, they do believe that they're going to have to meet God and they're not ready to meet God yet. I, I can say this wholeheartedly. I am not afraid of death. I've been walking with God a long time. And many people viewing this have, have as well. I have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He, he, he's my friend. I've walked with him for a long time. He has seen me through many things. And I know that his word can be trusted. And so I trust his word when it comes to this thing called, called death. I'm going to be with him. When my body experiences that, that thing called death, I will be with him for all eternity. So I, I'm not afraid of it. I remember uh, hearing a story of, uh, about a pastor who was doing some street evangelism, and he was working specifically trying to, to care for the homeless and minister to them, uh, to, to have the opportunity to, to, to share the gospel with them. And so he would oftentimes... Uh, get some food together and, and drive the church bus downtown and he would take food to, to feed the homeless and he would often you know, try to engage them conversationally and, and, and ask them uh, questions. And so one day he, he, he came up in the church bus and got out of the bus and had all this food and he went and took a sandwich to this one particular man and he, he got to talking with him for a moment and he asked him, he said, sir, do you, do you want to go to heaven? And he says the eyes, guy's eyes got really, really huge, and, and the guy said no. And it really threw the pastor for a loop. He said, you, you don't want to go to heaven? Why? The guy said no again. He said, well, can I ask you a question? Why wouldn't you, you go to want to go to heaven? And the guy says, because I was afraid that you were, came down here and you're loading that bus up to take us there right now, and I'm not ready. Friends, you, you need to have a relationship with Christ because one day... The bus is coming. It's coming for me. It's coming for you. We're, we're, we're all going to die. And it's probably not going to be tonight. You know, you, you might, but most likely it won't. And, and yes, you need Jesus because that day's coming. But more importantly, you need Jesus in your life today because you're probably going to live to face tomorrow. And you need him in your life like never before with all that we're facing. You need him in your life today just to get through tomorrow. See, all of us believe this, that only a fool goes through life unprepared for what he knows is coming next. That's foolish, not to be prepared. 
Romans chapter 10 tells us this. No one who trusts God like this, heart and soul, will ever regret it. You'll never regret it if you trust God with your heart and soul. So what's it going to be like on the other side? What's it going to be like in heaven? Well, we, we don't know all the specifics. The Bible gives us some indications and some hints about it. I, I, I do know this. We're not going to have wings. We're not going to, you know, just sit around and play harps all day like you see on, on, on commercials. You know, that, that's not going to happen, the whole white robe, you know, harps, wings thing. But I, I, I know this. It's not going to be boring. It, it, it's not going to be boring. And this is the way that I like to think about it. The Bible tells us that God created the heavens and the earth in seven days. And it, it's, it, the earth is beautiful. It's this incredible place. I've had the opportunity to travel to different parts of it. And, and it's just, it's, it's gorgeous. And we have, we have a lot of fun here, especially when there's no pandemic going on, you know. We have great times here. When Jesus left 2,000 years ago, he told his followers, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now, if God could create this beauty in seven years, think about what he could do in 2,000 years. Heaven is going to be a place we can't even imagine. It's going to be so, so very, very incredible. The Bible says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined. Some of you have great imaginations, I know. But your mind hasn't even been able to imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. You can't imagine what heaven's going to be like. Even with all the hints that God's word gives us. God guarantees you this though. You will not be disappointed. You, you won't regret it as the scripture said that we read a, a moment ago. Now here's the last thing that I want to share with you uh, uh, about the power of, of the resurrection. is this. Jesus' resurrection provides power to live fearlessly when I commit all my fears and all my life to Jesus. When I commit all my fears and all my life to Jesus. Look at what 1 Peter 3 tells us. It says, don't be afraid of anyone and don't worry, but have reverence for Christ in your heart and honor him as Lord. Now, unfortunately, I've had this conversation with people more times than I would like to admit. Someone who looks very successful on the outside, outwardly, they've got it all together, but inwardly, they're worried sick. They're, they're, they're constantly worried. You know, are, are they going to be able to perform? Are they going to fall flat on their face? Are they going to be able to make it? And, you know, outwardly it looks like it, but inwardly they're, they're constantly thinking they're going to be found out. They look propped up on the outside, but on the inside they're, they're just caving in. I want you to think with me for, for just a minute. You know, I imagine, I imagine most of you would say something like this, that you try to follow the Ten Commandments. Well, let me ask you another question. How many of them do you know? Maybe y'all can test one another if you're in a family together later on today. Um, how many could you say? Have you seen the movie, The Ten Commandments? It usually plays this time of year on TV. Do you know what the first commandment says? The, the, the first commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me. That's what God said. No other gods before, that's the first one. It's, it's the top of God's big ten list. The Bible calls trying to put something ahead of God in your life idolatry. It, and, and no matter what you try to put ahead of God, it could be career, it could be job, it could be good things. It could be a person. Anything that you try to put in that first position instead of God, the Bible calls that idolatry. And again, it, it might be something that, you know, is, is pretty, pretty good. But you've made it God. Some people make their recreation God. Some, some people, you know, make their boats God. And, you know, right now it's kind of hard to, to love your God if it's a boat because you can't put it in the water. You can just go out in the yard and look at it. Some people make their house their God or their job their God or their, their bank account their God or, 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 or their wife or, or their kids. But here's the deal. Anything that you put before God in your life becomes idolatry. And any time you let that happen, you are setting yourself up for fear. Because 
If it can be given to you, it can be taken away. Any time, anything else can be taken away from you, and that's more important than God in your life, you're going to develop deep fears. If getting people's approval is the most important thing in your life, then you're going to develop a fear of losing others' approval. If making money is number one, you're going to constantly live in fear of not having enough or, or losing that. If, if, if getting married is the most important thing in your life, uh, you, you could lose that. You may never get married or you may lose the marriage once you have it. If success is most important in your life, you're going to develop a fear of failure. If your reputation is the most important thing in your life, you're going to develop a fear of losing that. You're going to imagine all kinds of horrible things. Idolatry equals fear. So think about the things that make you afraid. I want to suggest that probably what's happening is that thing is competing for first place in your life with God. And that's why you fear it so much. 1 Peter 3 told us this, don't worry, don't be afraid of anyone, anything. Have reverence for Christ. Put him in the proper position. Honor him as Lord. Again, if you printed out the worksheet, circle that word Lord. It's not a word that we use here in America so much. We don't have, you know, lords and ladies and serfs and servants and all that kind of thing. You know, we live in this democracy. So what does it mean to be Lord? Well, it means he's boss. It means he, he's manager of your life. He calls the shots. He's, he's the CEO. I've heard it said when Jesus comes in, he doesn't want to just be a resident in your life. He wants to be the president of your life. He wants to run the show. God, God wants to be number one. That's what it means to make Jesus Lord. And we have to let God be God. See, to honor Christ as Lord means he's the only person you ultimately have to please. And when you think about it doesn't, it, doesn't that make life so much easier to know that you only have to please one person? You don't have to try to please 50 or 100. Just, just focus on pleasing God. That, see how much stress that could reduce? See how much tension that could release? Knowing that the most important thing to do is just be found pleasing to Him, doesn't it make sense? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says this. It says, cast all your cares... Just take your care, all of them, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns. Once and for all, cast them on him, for he cares for you. Here's how I like to imagine that. I like to imagine that God gives me this great big garbage bag, and he lets me just put all my worries in it, and I fill this bag up with all my worries, and I toss it out, and God's garbage truck just comes along and, and hauls it all away. All, all those worries, just cast them on God. Now, now why, why would God tell us to do that? This verse in 1 Peter 5 tells us why. Because he cares for you. You know, that word cast is, is an interesting word in, in our culture. There, there's kind of two kinds of casters. One is cast where you, where you throw it away. Uh, another is casting when you're going fishing. You know, but in that casting, you, you cast it out and you reel it back in. God does not want you to, you know, reel your worries, reel your fears back in. Give it to God. Let him haul it off. Let, let, it, let it go. That's how you allow God to be God. You resign as general manager of the universe. And you'll be a whole lot more relaxed when you do that, when you, when you accept it into your life and you put your fears and your whole life in his hands. You start realizing the world doesn't depend on you for things to, 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 to go well. See, one of the biggest differences between you and God is God doesn't ever think that he's you. He, he never gets confused like that. And as long as you or I try to be God, we're going to be filled with fear. Now, the truth is, when you are, you can't handle it. You just can't handle it. When you start, when you find yourself worrying about something, you need, to under, you need to see it as a warning light. Think of worry as a warning light. First, it's saying, you know, something has become too important if I'm worried sick about it. This important thing, it's starting to take first place in my life. The second thing that just overwhelming worry does is it means I'm trying to solve it myself which means I'm playing God. I'm trying to control the issue. And neither of the, they don't work. They just don't work. See, here's what it means to com commit your life 
and your fears to Christ. It's, it's, it's actually the kind of life that Jesus intended for us to have. We read about it in, in Romans chapter 8. And it's the power of the resurrection. This is what Jesus came to give you through the power of the resurrection. It says this, the resurrection life you receive from God is not a, a timid, game-ending life. It's adventurously expectant. It's greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? I love it when my grandchildren, who I haven't been able to put my arms around for a little while, come into our house excited to see Papa and want to know what we're going to do today. The Bible says that a relationship with God is just like that. It's, it's receiving this understanding it's a great adventure. There's, there's great expectation. That's the Christian life free of worry and God means for us to live that way Jesus said I have come that you might have life not death not just exist so here's the big question of the day what what fear is the prominent fear that keeps you from really living fully from living this adventurous life that God had planned for you maybe you're a Christian but right now you're overwhelmed with a sense of emptiness or frustration or uneasiness and you just feel like the puzzles pieces don't fit together i want to suggest that maybe what you've done is you've walked away from god or if that describes you maybe you've never trusted jesus maybe you feel like things aren't fitting together right maybe you maybe you feel like pieces aren't falling into place and that there's just this sense of incompleteness maybe you find yourself asking the question you know what what, what in the world why, why am I on this planet anyway? What, what, what's my purpose? Well, if you have those recurring thoughts, I want to congratulate you. Now, I know you say that's a weird thing to congratulate somebody for, but I want to congratulate you if you've had those thoughts playing in your head because here's what's going on. God, God is placing those there to stir your heart for a hunger for him. God is, God is stirring that sense of emptiness, that sense of things not fitting together, saying, I want to show you how you can be satisfied. I want to show you how you can have purpose. I made you. I love you, God says. I, I know you, and I want you to know me. God would tell you that he's watched everything you've done from the moment you were born. And if you've got that kind of dissatisfaction in your life, that's God saying, there is more to this life than what you're living. There is. See, there's this God-shaped emptiness in all of us that only God himself can fear. And if you try to fill it with other, with other things, if you try to fill it with things in this culture, you're going you're gonna to constantly be asking, why am I so worried? Why am I so afraid? Why, why am I so stressed out and uptight all of the time? Well, it's because nothing, nothing can substitute for God. And he has revealed himself in Jesus. It doesn't matter how much human affirmation you get. It doesn't how, matter how many awards you'll put on the shelf. No matter how many trophies you come, achievements you get, how many possessions you can stockpile. Nothing, nothing can substitute for God in your life. See, the message of Easter is this. He came out of the tomb. He emptied the tomb. And he emptied the tomb to fill your empty heart with his great love. Friends, there is no fear in that kind of love. So here's what I want to challenge you with today and leave you with. Why don't you accept God's love for you as fact? Maybe for the first time or maybe you need to recommit to that fact that God loves you accept it as fact second believe that Jesus actually died and rose from death for you to give you a power to live on and then third why don't you today commit all of your fears and your whole life over to him because you will never ever regret it why don't you accept God's love for you today and begin to know it and live in it Let's pray. Pray with me, if you would. I, I know it may be strange at home, but I'm just going to ask you to, to bow your heads and 
just kind of focus on God for a minute. You know, if, if, you've, if you're a, a Christ follower and you've kind of walked away from God and, and this Easter you've kind of stepped back towards him, remember that God's word says that he loves you with a deep love, an everlasting love, the kind of love that always takes you back. And you can come home to God right now. My prayer for you is that God will richly bless you as you draw yourself to him, as you, you give yourself over to him, that he'll push out the anxiety and fear, and he would fill that with a new freedom, a freedom of fearlessness. Others of you watching this afternoon may, may be at a place in your life where you've thought about God, You've heard about Jesus, but you have never taken that last step of really trusting him. You've, you've kind of known something about it, but you've not really accepted it. You've not believed in it. Maybe you've believed facts about it, but you've never believed in him, trusted him. And you've never given him your whole life, making him Lord. You've never handed him all your fears and left them with him. And if that's you, and you want to be set free, if you want to live in the power of the resurrection that overcomes fear, even the fear of death, I want you to pray with me right now. I want you to pray this prayer with me. You can, you can just pray it. You can pray it out loud. If you're by yourself, I really strongly encourage you to pray it out loud. If you're with others and you, you just want to pray it in, in your mind to God, just pray it. Dear Jesus, you can just repeat it after me. Dear Jesus, I come to you today trusting you, trusting that in your resurrection, I believe it's true. I believe you are God, and I'm coming to trust you now. Jesus, I thank you that you died on the cross to pay for my sin because I realize now I couldn't pay for it that there's nothing that I could do to make me right with God. Jesus, thank you for dying in my place. And I come now and I submit myself to you as Lord. I surrender myself now. And I come trusting you, clinging to you, relying totally on you. Thank you for never, never giving up on me. Thank you for never stopping loving me, Jesus. I accept your love fully now. It's in your name I pray. Amen. If you've just prayed that prayer, God's word tells us that you can trust him. God's word tells us that you can live life to its fullest now because you have a hope. You have a hope in Jesus Christ. You have a hope that changes everything. And it, it's not a hope in, in, in might what come. It's a living hope. It's a powerful hope. And I want to just invite you to join us and our worship team as we come and worship the Lord together for being our living hope. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 1130 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.